0: It's always a privilege uh, for me to be able to um, take a bath at church. (laughs) Um, But the reality is that everything that this water symbolizes, you know, there's nothing magical about the water, but it's the commitment and the complete surrender that is a transforming experience. And um, if you haven't experienced that yet, I just would encourage you, why wait? You know, I'm looking at some friends of mine who are dressed in Pathfinder attire with their yellow scarves and khaki fatigues or whatever you want to call them. And uh, actually, this Sabbath afternoon, we're going to be meeting with a small group of Pathfinders. We've been meeting for the last three months every week. And many of our Pathfinders next Sabbath will be giving their lives in baptism as well. And so uh, I just want to praise the Lord for what He's doing in the lives of our young people. Um, God is good and God is faithful. And I believe that he is doing this because he knows that they're part of a church family that will grow them. He knows that that he can entrust this church family with young disciples who need to be walked with and talked with and loved along the way. Are are we all in on that? Yeah? Amen. Praise the Lord. So be back here next Sabbath. We're going to have many more celebrations to come. We're going to start this morning's Bible study in John chapter 17. John chapter 17. If you have a Bible, go ahead and find it. If you didn't bring one, there, maybe there's one in the pew in front of you, or you can just kind of share with the neighbor next to you. But in John chapter 17, Jesus is praying one of his last recorded prayers on earth. John chapter 17, and we'll begin in verse 3. So when you're there, say amen. amen. All right. John chapter 17, beginning in verse 3. I'm reading from the New King James Version today. John chapter 17, verse 3, Jesus is praying and he says this, And this is eternal life, that they may know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. Some of us have mathematical minds. Some of us like to think in numbers and equations. And if you're like me, you might appreciate that Jesus is giving us an equation here. If he says, if he's trying to define what eternal life is, he's saying eternal life equals what? Equals what? According to this verse, this is eternal life that they may know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. So if you want to boil down the essence of eternal life, it's found in knowing God. Which means that eternal life is not just somewhere way beyond the blue. Eternal life can be now as I live in relationship with Jesus. How many of us want to experience eternal life today? Amen, amen. This whole month we've been talking about just you and me, personal encounters with a personal God, all from the Gospel of Mark. And this morning we're going to go to a story in Mark chapter 8. It's smack dab right in the middle of the gospel. And so before we get there, I want us to pray and ask that Jesus would cause us to know him. Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you are all about relationship. And we thank you for the privilege of establishing that relationship in knowing Jesus. And so today, God, we pray once again that it that your Holy Spirit would lead us and teach us and lead us to experience eternal life today. This is our prayer. In Christ's name we pray. Amen. Alright, so go there. Mark chapter 8. Mark chapter 8, and it was read for our scripture reading. Mark chapter 8, the very middle of this mysterious gospel. Remember, Mark is the gospel for the ADD generation. He's going from story to story immediately, immediately. It's probably his most common word. And Mark wants to tell us something about Jesus. If you're a student of Mark and you've read through some of the stories, maybe you've noticed that almost after every miracle of healing, almost after every encounter, uh, Jesus is caught saying something like this. Don't tell anybody about this. Have you noticed that in the Gospel of Mark? Yeah? He heals the, the, a, a demoniac um, in Mark chapter 1, and, and the, the demon-possessed man comes and says, I know who you are. You are the son of the living God. And Jesus says, shh, don't tell anybody. (laughs) In Mark chapter 7, he, he sticks his fingers in the ears of a deaf mute, and he says, be opened. And when that man is healed, he tells him, don't tell anybody. So somewhere along this, in this gospel of Mark, Jesus is carrying this messianic secret of sorts and Mark is playing it to a high level, until we come to chapter 8, we finally realize, oh, here's what's going on. People think they see Jesus, but they really don't get it. In Mark chapter 8, even before we get to that story that we read for the scripture reading, in Mark chapter 8, let's see, down in verse 12, let's start in verse 11. Mark chapter 8, verse 11. The Bible says, Then the Pharisees came out and began to dispute with him, seeking from him a sign from heaven, testing him. All right? So here are the Pharisees, religious leaders, people have been studying scripture, and they're asking Jesus, Would you give us something visible that we can know that you're really who you say you are? Now if you look at the beginning of chapter 8, if you have subtitles in your Bible, what's that story there at the beginning of chapter 8? Do you see it there? He's feeding a multitude. He's feeding how many? 4,000. Four wait, wait. I thought he fed 5,000. He did in chapter 6. And here in chapter 8, he feeds 4,000. Okay? Just with seven loaves and two fish. I mean, it's, it's crazy. And so here Jesus is demonstrating who he really is. Yet, when it comes across the lake in verse 11, there are Pharisees who are saying, who are you really? Can you give us a sign? And Jesus says, sorry, beginning in verse 12, it says, but he sighed deeply in his spirit. Can you imagine Jesus? (sighs) Uh, You know, they just don't get it. So he sighs deeply in his spirit and says, why does this generation seek a sign? Assuredly, I say to you, no sign shall be given to this generation. So here are religious leaders who just don't get it. Who is Jesus? He's showing it But these gentlemen, these leaders, just don't get it. But it just doesn't stop with them. Even amongst his own, his 12 disciples, look by the end of verse 21, chapter 8, verse 21. He's talking to his disciples now, and he says, So he said to them, how is it you do not, what's the next word? Understand. He's talking to his disciples, his own posse. His boys, okay? And they've been walking with him, talking with him. And Jesus is like, How is it that you don't understand? And then the very next story. The only one who records this story is Mark. And let's read it. Then he came to Bethsaida, verse 22. They brought a blind man to him and begged him to touch him. Okay, nothing unfamiliar about this. This is familiar territory. Jesus knows how to heal people. Verse 23. So he took the blind man by the hand and led him where? Out of town. town. Do you see a picture of a personal God here? He doesn't want to just create a sideshow for people to ooh and ah over. He actually takes him by the hand, leads him out of town. The rest of the verse says, And when he had spit on his eyes and put his hands on him, pretty graphic, he asked him if he saw anything. In verse 24, he looked up and said, I see men like trees walking. Now, improvement, yes or no? First he sees nothing, but now he can see something. Except this something that he sees is a little bit fuzzy still. I'm not quite sure what kinds of hairdos they had back then that would make men look like trees. (laughs) I'm not sure maybe they were carrying pots around on their head. I I don't know. Maybe they were just way off in a distance. But whatever the case, he sees something, but not everything clearly. Verse 25, Then Jesus put his hands on his eyes again, made him look up, and he was restored and saw everyone clearly. And here's that that secretive tone again in verse 26. Then he sent him away to his house saying, Neither go into the town nor tell anyone in the town. Now what is going on here? How is it that Jesus has to do a double take of sorts? How is it that Jesus didn't do it right the first time? Did Jesus make a mistake? Or was he making a point? I would assume, given my understanding of of just how amazing Jesus is, I would assume that he is not making a mistake, but he is making a point. Whether or not the other gospel writers saw this experience as one that they just didn't quite understand, or they couldn't explain it, we're not quite sure. But all we know is that Mark sees something very significant that he puts it right in the middle of his gospel. This gospel that's explaining who Jesus is, this gospel that climaxes with this sense of hard-headedness, people just don't get it, and then there's a man who cannot see. And Jesus has to work twice with him to help him see everything clearly. What was Jesus doing? If he wasn't making a mistake, what point was he making? I think if we go on to the rest of the chapter just read the very next few verses, we might start seeing something happening. Now Jesus and his disciples went out to the towns of Caesarea Philippi. And on the road, he asked his disciples, saying to them, Who do men, what? Say that I am. So here's the picture. Jesus has just performed this two-stage miracle of healing. You, can, you may see something, but there's a di- big difference between seeing something and seeing everything. So Jesus has to work twice over with an individual who physically cannot see. Now he's working with his disciples. And he's asking them, who do men say that I am? Here Jesus is walking with his disciples to a town called Caesarea Philippi. It's 30 miles north of the Sea of Galilee. And so he's he's literally, he has his back on homeland, okay? He has his back on where everybody has been. He has his back on geographically where everybody is, but spiritually where everybody is, and he's taking his disciples aside. He's taking his disciples aside and says, who do people say that I am? Who do people say that? So he's taking this, this uh, gallop poll of sorts, and in verse 28, so the answer, John the Baptist, but some say Elijah, and others one of the prophets. Now, this isn't the first time. In chapter 6, King Herod is asking who this Jesus is, and some people are responding in just the same way. And it just so happens that the disciples are very well in tune with the popular opinion. Now, in verse 29, Jesus said to them, But who do you say that I am? Peter answered and said to him, You are who? The The Christ. Big difference. Who do you say that I am? So here Jesus is drawing a difference. He he, he doesn't just want to know what the popular opinion is. He wants to know what your personal conviction is. Do you realize that there's a difference? That Jesus is ultimately concerned not just with what the popular opinion is, but what your personal conviction is? He doesn't just want to know what Mark Finley says about him. He doesn't just want to know what Doug Batchelor says about him. He doesn't just want to know what your pastor says about him. He wants to know what you know about him, what I know about him. Friends, Jesus is a personal God, and he wants you to know him personally. And so he turns to his disciples Who do you say that I am? Peter says it. You are the Christ. In Matthew chapter 16, when this story is recorded, Jesus, is like, Oh, gold star for you, Peter. You know, only God could reveal this to you. You've, you've gotten it. You finally get it. But notice the very next verse. Then he strictly warned them that they should tell no one about him. Okay, there's, the, again, just this, what is Jesus trying to do? Or what is he trying to prevent? The reality is this. When Peter says, you are the Christ, you are the Messiah, you're the one that we've always been looking for, suddenly, in the mind of Peter, as he's drawing up files, as his hard drive is working, he's drawing up pictures along with Christ. In his mental definition, Christ means king. Christ means ruler. Christ means victor over the Romans. And so though his words say something about who Jesus is, those words may not see everything clearly. And so Jesus needs to work twice over. And in verse 31, the first four words of my Bible says, And he began to teach. If I'm beginning to do something, have I been doing it before? Yes or no? Uh, I'll say this again. Okay. If I'm beginning to make my way home, was I making my way home before? Yes or no? No. Okay, okay. So Jesus is doing something for the first time. He's doing something. What is it? And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and chief priests and scribes and be killed and after three days rise again the very first time Jesus is breaking the news. Hey friends, Christ is not who you thought he was. The son of man came to save by suffering. Whew. Now if Peter had a big, you know, mind bubble, this would be a huge, <pop> <okay. laughs> this is popping, Peter's bubble, the disciples' bubble, because they understand something. They understand something. They, they think that if Jesus is the Christ, that if he's headed to his throne, then the one that they're following means that they themselves will be at the throne as well. And so for Jesus to redefine that mental schema, this means something radically different than what Peter and the disciples thought. First they thought, I'm following a king. I'll be sitting on the throne as well. Now they see, I'm following someone who's going to be crucified. I will be crucified as well. And for the natural heart that cultivates the ego, that is always self-seeking and self-exalting, this is death to that dream. And Peter doesn't know what to do about it. In verse 32, he spoke this word openly. Then Peter took Jesus aside and began to rebuke him. Can you imagine this? The creature rebuking the creator. And Peter's rebuking Jesus. Verse 33, But when he had turned around and looked at his disciples, he rebuked Peter, saying, Get behind me, Satan. The last time Jesus said that was in the wilderness temptation. Okay, so so Jesus realizes something very significant is happening. that, That in Peter's resistance, there is a temptation upon the heart of Jesus to actually divert from the plan and will of God. And so Jesus doesn't want to have any of it. And he says, get behind me, Satan. The rest of it says, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. So here's Peter. He's someone who sees that Jesus is the Christ, but he doesn't see everything clearly. And just as Jesus worked with a man's physical blindness, he is now having to work with our spiritual blindness. Aren't you thankful for a patient God? (laughs) And even though Peter is trying to take Jesus aside, Jesus is still willing to take Peter aside. You know, sometimes, you know, I, I hope that we've gotten the point this month. You know, we've been talking about personal encounters with the personal God. I hope we've gotten the point that Jesus actually wants to take us aside. He's looking for time alone with you and with me. Praise the Lord for the opportunities to gather as a congregation. Amen. But do you realize that God longs for time alone with you and me? Could it be, could it be that that the disciples, had they not had the time alone with Jesus, they would have just settled for the popular opinion that Jesus was a prophet, that Jesus was just John the Baptist or Elijah? Could it be that the disciples, had they not had that time alone with Jesus, they would not have been able to see? And I wonder if sometimes we forfeit I wonder if sometimes we forfeit seeing who Jesus really is if we just content ourselves with the group date, so to speak, with God. Do you understand what I'm talking about? Yeah? I mean, because the reality is, you know, I, I grew I'm I'm what you would call a lifer, okay? I, <laughs> from knee-high to a grasshopper all the way to now, you know, I, I grew up going to church, being around church, being around the Bible, being around spiritual things, but it is very possible It is very possible to be a lifer, but still have no personal acquaintance with Jesus. And so it is possible to see something, but there's a big difference between something and everything. And Jesus wants us to see everything clearly. And how does that happen? For the man with physical blindness, he took him aside. For Peter and the disciples with spiritual blindness, he was willing to take them aside. And I believe, friends, that if you and I want to see clearly, it's going to be a process. Is that okay? It's going to be a process. But that process is most thoroughly engaged when it's one on one with Jesus. Just you and me. Personal encounters with the personal God. But here's the thing even Peter and the disciples, they had that personal time with God. They had that personal one-on-one acquaintance with Jesus, yet they didn't see everything clearly. Why? Why what was getting in the way? Ego, self exactly. Sometimes sometimes it's our drive for self-seeking and self exaltation. Self-preservation, it's our drive for ease, it's our drive for comfort that actually dulls our ears and skews our vision to what Jesus is trying to show us about himself. Wow. And that, that's kind of a, that's a very sobering question. It's a pointed question. It makes us wonder, wait a minute, is there something that's blinding me? For the Pharisees, yes, it was self. They wanted a, an earthly kingdom. They wanted earthly riches, and they could not accept a spiritual kingdom that Jesus was willing to offer. Here, Peter and the disciples, they're they're in the throes of that. They're being affected by that. In fact, Desire of Ages puts it very clearly. Desire of Ages, page 409, I'll read it from here. If we want to identify the source of blindness, it really does find its root in self. It says this, The hypocrisy of the Pharisees was the product of self-seeking. The glorification of themselves was the object of their lives. It was this that led them to pervert and misapply the scriptures and blinded them to the purpose of Christ's mission. It was this that came between them and Christ, making them so little in sympathy with his mission of self-sacrifice, so slow to comprehend the mystery of redemption. The next paragraph says this, Among the followers of our Lord today... As of old, how widespread is this subtle, deceptive sin? Boy, this is heavy. (laughs) What is it that's getting in the way of me seeing who Jesus is? But I've been here, I've been here all my life. I'm a lifer, I've been in Pathfinders, I've been in adventures, I've been in Sabbath school, church school, etc., etc. How can I not see who Jesus is? Can I take you to a text in Job Hold, it, hold a finger here in Mark chapter 8. Go to Job chapter 26. Go to Job very quickly. Job is right before Psalms, so it's a little bit less than halfway through your Bible. Job chapter 26, or maybe you say it Job. Job 26, towards the end of the chapter. When you're there, say Amen. amen. All right. Job 26, Job is, is recounting uh, just the infinite power of God. He's, he's wondering to himself, boy, how can anybody comprehend who God is? And starting in verse 1, he says, how, I'm sorry, verse 2, How have you helped him who is without power? How have you saved the arm that has no strength? How have you counseled one who has no wisdom? And then he's talking about, uh, he's talking about God, and in verse eleven it says, "The pillars of heaven tremble and are astonished at His rebuke." God stirs up the sea with His power, and by His understanding He breaks up the storm. Verse thirteen: By His spirit He adorned the heavens; His hand pierced the fleeing serpent. So all these things that are just way beyond Job, He's just saying, "Well, God has done this. God has done this." And then in verse fourteen, notice: Indeed, these are the mere edges of his ways these are the mere edges of his ways what does your bible say there these are the what these are the parts of his ways just the beginning i read a version that said these are the mere fringes of his ways so job is recounting all these things that only god can do and he's saying but this is just the beginning Indeed, these are the mere edges of his ways, and how small a whisper we hear of them. But the thunder of his power, who can understand? Now here's something that Job understood. Job understood that even if I see something about God, there's always more to see. Did you catch it? Even if I hear something of God, a whisper of who God is, there's always a thunder to experience even if I'm a lifer, even if I've studied through the baptismal studies, even if I've done this and I've done that, there's always more to see. And Jesus wants to take you aside and show you more each time. So that's the power of this story. In Mark chapter 8, we see it in the physical world but we also see it in the spiritual world. There's something more about Jesus. More about Jesus, I would know. More of his grace. Friends, Jesus is an infinite God. He wants to show us more, but at times, whatever that more is, rubs against our self seeking Whatever that more, whatever that thunder is that we have yet to hear, it rubs against our natural desire for ease and comfort. And somehow it's that self that's in the way that colors, it skews, and it even blinds our ability to see Jesus. So yes, be taken aside, get alone with God. Yes, let Jesus carve out unhurried time. But in addition to that, when you meet with Jesus one-on-one, allow self to take a hike. (laughs) Let self be laid to the dust so that Jesus can be lifted high. Because for the disciples, it was self that led Peter to rebuke Jesus. When you come alone with God, who is instructing who? Jesus, I need this, 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 and this today. I know, I know you're fully well aware of that, so let me just tell you how it ought to be done. When you get alone with God, whose agenda is driving who? So the story continues. It says, get behind me, Satan, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Maybe, just maybe, Self deserves a rebuke. (laughs) Or maybe I should say it like this. Self deserves a crucifixion. So the bottom line, the bottom line, there's always going to be more to see about Jesus, but it's self that gets in the way. So when we're taken aside by God, allow him to let self take a hike. Today, you've got a a connect card in your bulletins. If you haven't already started pulling it out, go ahead. I would invite you, go ahead, just to pull that out right now. We've been talking about this, just you and me, for three weeks now. Just you and me. Personal encounters with the personal God. On the front side, you can just fill in just whatever information you're comfortable filling in. Name, email, best way to contact you. But on the back side is what we're really interested in. On the backside, you can share what your next step is. Here's the truth. A lot of times we can preach truth, we can can share truth, but the question is, what's going to happen to that truth once we walk out of that door? What are the steps we're going to take? What what actions are we going to take? And so today we want to talk about what our next step is. On the right, there's a box that says, I am interested in. If you're interested in any of those four below, go ahead and check that. Go ahead and put smiley faces around it. Circle it real, real big so I can take a notice. I look over these things every time we get them back, okay? If you've left prayer requests at the bottom, know that you've been prayed for multiple times this week and the last. But there on the right, you can, you can request information on baptism. You want to give your heart holy to God in, in baptism. You can request information on becoming a church member, on receiving Bible studies, or participating in a ministry. You want to get involved. Maybe it's leading a small group. Maybe it's being part of a Sabbath school team. Maybe it's doing a ministry that we haven't even started yet here at this church, but God has laid it on your heart to do it. So go ahead, fill that in. But here we are, the left box. It says, my next step today is... My next step today is, number one, I refuse to settle for anything less than knowing Jesus personally. Oh, is that your refusal today? (laughs) You don't want to just settle. You don't want to settle for anything less than a personal acquaintance with God. You don't want to settle for just knowing what everybody else says about him, but having no personal conviction about him. If that's your desire, to know Jesus personally, to pursue that, to seek that, to let Jesus take you aside for that, go ahead and check that one. The second box there says, Today today I am asking God to remove self-seeking so I can see clearly who he really is you've come to the reality that, okay, okay, maybe I've, I've hit a ceiling, so to speak. Maybe I've hit a, a, a stone wall in my relationship with God, and I, I'm not seeing the thunder. I'm not hearing the, what's beyond the edges. And maybe there's something in your own heart, your self-seeking, that's really blocking the way from really seeing who Jesus is. And so you're saying, today I'm asking God to, to remove self-seeking. The third box there, I covenant with God. That means I promise. I'm making a commitment. I covenant with God to devote unhurried time in the morning slash evening. You can circle whichever one you're wanting to commit to this week. Unhurried time in the morning slash evening each day this week for personal connection with Him. If that's your desire, you want to be specific, go ahead and check that one. Sometimes, (laughs) Sometimes the difference between a wish and action is actually deciding to act on it. And so if we're making a decision, if we're making a plan, yes, I'm actually going to spend morning time. I'm actually going to spend evening time. Whatever it is, go ahead and make that commitment. Make it concrete. Check that off right there. Just you and me. Personal encounters with a personal God. I hope this never becomes an old theme. I hope this never becomes a, a dry uh, routine idea of seeking God personally, because the reality is we need Him every hour. <laughs> you know, the uh, the verse that we started with, John 17:3, this is life eternal, that you might know God. And so when we're talking about spending time alone with God, we're talking about experiencing eternity. That's the motivation. If you're wondering why this guy keeps preaching about seeking Jesus personally, that's it, because it's eternal life, okay? And the other thing is this. The other thing is, I don't know if you noticed this, but there are a few things that look a little bit different about our bulletin this week, but they're in the opening, like just behind the cover. So you've got the cover right there, just above the Sabbath school heading. We've inserted a line that has been coined by a group of our very own leaders here. The two words it says our mission. We've prayerfully sought God about what it is that Parkwood is about. Why God has called Parkwood into existence. And right there it says our mission is to reveal Jesus Christ to the world now in preparation for his soon return. Amen. Why do I do this every day? Because I'm wanting to reveal Jesus Christ now in preparation. For his soon return. Why do we do Sabbath school? Well, because we want to reveal Jesus Christ to the world now in preparation for his soon return. Why are you involved in community services? Well, I want to reveal Jesus Christ to the world now in preparation for his soon return. Why do you keep helping with potluck? Like every- well, I want to reveal Jesus Christ to the world now in preparation for his, t- do, you, do you get the idea? Yeah. Everything we do at whatever level of organization or whatever ministry dynamic, it ought to be grounded in this direction. I want to reveal Jesus Christ to the world now in preparation for his soon return. Amen? Now, there's actually a vision statement that's eventually going to find some space on this paper, (laughs) and that vision statement, I will, I'll keep it a secret. No, Uh, we will uh, unveil that. Do you want to hear it now? Okay, can I just say it now? We, we voted it on our board uh, this last Monday, and I'm just waiting for a good time to be able to not just tell it, but actually preach it. I want to be able to preach this thing because our vision at Parkwood is to belong to Christ in a healthy church family where every member is valued and loved, thoroughly equipped, and joyfully involved in linking others To Christ. So if we successfully fulfill our mission to reveal Jesus Christ to the world now, guess what's going to happen? We're going to belong to Christ in a healthy church family. Every member will be valued and loved, thoroughly equipped, and joyfully involved in linking others to Christ. Ah, that's the vision that God has given us, and I believe it's real, but back to what I was trying to say. Okay, so why is this whole seeking God personally a big deal? Because if we ever want to reveal Jesus Christ to this world, wouldn't it require knowing Jesus Christ personally? If we ever seek to tell someone else about Jesus, wouldn't it be nice to know who Jesus is first? Have you ever tried to introduce a friend to somebody you never knew? It's hard. (laughs) Hey, this is, uh, what was your name again? Debbie and I have kind of found tricks where we, you know, like we we come to this room where we're we're supposed to know that person. I I remember seeing that person 10 years ago at PUC or something like that, you know, whatever it was. And uh, I'll introduce this person. Hopefully they'll get the clue that they're supposed to introduce themselves. It's kind of a nice little system if you need to take that. Anyways, but here's the point. If you're ever wanting to reveal Jesus, it ought to be something we've received ourselves. How can we give something we've never received ourselves? So yes, it is eternal life. And yes, this is the mission that God has called us to. So friends, today I don't know what your desire is. I don't know what you've checked on on the card. But I want to pray together that our eyes would truly turn to Jesus in such a way that we would not just be content to see something. But that we would press to see everything. One-on-one, just him and me. Let's bow our heads for prayer. Father in heaven, we're so thankful that you've given us a revelation of yourself. In the word, in the life and works of Jesus, day by day, just in the circumstances around us. God, your love is written on every flower and tree as we look outside. Father, we long to see Jesus. And God, I thank you. That it's your intention to show us yourself in the secret, in the quiet, when we're one-on-one with you. Forgive us, Lord. Forgive us for those things that we've put up, those expectations and assumptions that we've held on to, that have blinded us from really seeing what you're showing us, who you are, what you're up to in our lives. Forgive us, God, for holding on to things so dearly, for being so arrogant to instruct you. Lord, we pray for a crucifixion of self, that when you take us aside, that when we get alone with God, that you would really be able to reveal yourself completely. And so, Father, we pray that we would be a church who receives day by day a revelation of who you are, so that we can give day by day a revelation of who you are. This is our sincere prayer in Christ's name. Let everyone say, Amen. Amen.